All right. I, I titled my message, Hope for America. And of course, America needs uh, a turning back to God, does it not? And uh, it's very secular, very sensual, fallen in so many ways. I was talking to a man before church, and I'm very patriotic. My dad was a military guy, 27 years in the army. I was, I was raised an army kid and always flew the flag. And he fought in World War II and landed on the beaches of Normandy and served under Patton and liberated a concentration camp and was part of the uh, uh, atomic bomb testing and uh, had a master's in nuclear physics and uh, a colonel or a lieutenant colonel in the service for 27 years. So that was just all in my blood, red, white, and blue in my blood and uh, I just love America. I'm very patriotic. But I was talking about how it's very schizophrenic. Uh, not only do I love America, but I'm very grieved and, and uh, concerned about America. And there's so many things that I am worried about and I don't like as we have turned from God and embraced other things that, that are not honoring to God. But I believe the hope for America is Jesus Christ, who's the Savior of the world, right? And I also believe the church... A life-giving church is the hope for America as well. Why do I say that? Well, because the church is the pillar and ground of truth, that we hold up the word and hold forth the word of God. The Bible says that the Lord is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is as a church is the body of Christ in this earth and preaching the gospel and saving of souls. I want you to know a strong church is also the hope for America, but so also is the next generation. We got the young people mainly sit in this section. The next generation is also the hope for America. The next generation that is saved and filled with God on fire from God that will take the baton of faith and continue to fulfill the great commission because we know the gospel will be preached to all nations and then shall the end come. And so we need the next generation to step up and to step forward and to step out and be that witness. Am I right about that? Amen. The problem is, in our nation, the foundations are being destroyed. It tells us in Psalm 11, verse 3, that the foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? Well, that's a great question. And Psalm 11 is a great psalm, and it's a psalm of David. And it was probably written during the time when Saul was trying, was pursuing him and trying to kill him. And uh, he was innocent, and yet the king that represented righteousness, the king that should uphold the law, was is now trying to kill him, to kill this innocent man, and the foundation of law and order was being destroyed, the foundation of right and wrong was being destroyed, and people are telling him in Psalm 11, you need to flee to the mountains and save yourself, and really the foundation also that was being destroyed was trust in God. How dare you tell me to flee to the mountains and uh, I'm going to trust in God. Then it goes on in Psalm 11 and says, God is on his throne. God is in heaven. And God sees everything that is happening down here. And God loves the righteous. And God is going to judge those that do iniquity. And I say the same thing today. When everything is falling apart part down here and the foundations are being destroyed down here. I'm here to declare to you that I still trust in God, have faith in God. God is in heaven. God is seated on the throne. God is still in charge. He is Lord and sovereign over this earth. And I trust in God. Amen to that. I believe I have a church that trusts in the Lord with me. The culture asks us to affirm and celebrate lifestyles and beliefs that are contrary to the clear teaching of scripture. 
As a church, we must hold fast the word of life in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Philippians 2, 15 and 16 tells us to do just that. The word is both our foundation and our light. If we compromise on the word of God, we are compromising on the incarnate word of God, which is Jesus Christ. I talk about these foundations being destroyed, and they are. The devil loves to attack foundations, the foundation of the word of God, the foundation of your faith or trust, the foundation of true salvation in Christ Jesus, but also in cultures, in societies, and nations. The devil loves to track, attack foundations because if they are destroyed, everything crumbles. I think about the foundation of sexuality that is being attacked in the United States of America where gender is now considered immutable and people are trying to find their authentic self. But I want you to know the Bible tells us in Genesis one twenty seven. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Sexuality is immutable, meaning it's unchangeable. It's binary. There's either, there's either male or there's, there's either male or there's either female. There's just two, right? It's binary. And people that are in search of their authentic self and they rebel against their creator and their sexual identity, which is given to them at birth. I want you to know that they will never find their authentic self because they're trying to find it outside of their creative identity. And Jesus even said, the truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. We know grace saves, but truth sets us free. And there is freedom in Christ, freedom in finding your identity in Christ. And so sexuality, that foundation is being destroyed and people actually then began to reconsider. Gee, am I a man or am I a woman? Well, you know what? It's really not that hard. (laughs) Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And they go on a search that will end up in hopelessness. The foundation of marriage obviously is being attacked by the enemy. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So a man joined to his wife, a woman, and they shall become one flesh. We know according to scriptures, the first institution that God established in the very beginning, and Genesis literally means beginnings, was the institution of marriage. God created it. God established it. God determines its boundaries and what it is. And marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and woman made in the presence of God. Fatherless homes are destructive to families and nations. Also, the foundation of truth is being attacked. Truth is so subjective in our culture now. Objective truth is no longer embraced. But Jesus says in John 17, thy word is truth. It was the lie in the garden, was it not? Has God indeed said, the serpent said to the woman, casting doubt on the word of God, the veracity or the truthfulness of the word of God? We believe as a church that the Bible is the word of God, that it is the word of God. We do not believe that it contains the word of God or that it becomes the word of God, but that it is the word of God. It is inerrant, incapable of being wrong, infallible, incapable of failing, and inspired from God to man. Our culture demands that reality bend to our feelings. What I feel is not the ultimate truth. 
Jesus is the embodiment of truth, and his word is the communication of that truth. So the devil loves to attack truth and the objective truth. And if he can destroy the foundation of truth, which is rooted in the word of God, then our faith is destroyed. How about the foundation of law and order? The Bible tells us in the last days, in Matthew 24, lawlessness will abound. And I tell you what, we see that, don't we? Lawlessness abounding. And I want you to know that the devil is the lawless one. And I've added this one because of the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. It's just in my mind. And people want to know what I think about that Supreme Court decision. I'll tell you what I think about it. Praise the Lord. That's what I think about that. Praise the Lord. But the foundation of life. I mean, the foundation of life, the sanctity of life. Are we not made in God's image? And one of the Ten Commandments is this, in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not commit murder. We need to be a society and a culture that embraces life, that protects life, that believes in the sanctity or the the preciousness of life, the sacredness of life, and uh, a culture that, that loses that and begins to... Uh, kill innocent human beings, whatever that, what, however that is played out in our society. And America, in many ways, has embraced that. I want you to know that foundation is also being destroyed. I, I have these, these five here that I went over. Let me just remind you. The foundation of sexuality, the foundation of marriage, the foundation of truth, the foundation of law and order, the foundation of life, or what we call the sanctity of life. All those are being attacked, and if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then in Psalm 11, it tells us, I tell you what we do, we look to God. We look to God who sits on the throne. We look to God who is in control. We look to God who promises to judge wickedness. We look to God who promises to love the righteous. We look to him and place our faith in him, and we will not allow the devil to attack the foundation of our faith with his wholehearted trust in God and his word. Let's hold fast. Hold fast. There's an interesting story in the Old Testament. The nation of Judah had rebelled against God and God had raised up prophets that prophesied, unless you repent and turn to God, this nation is going to be destroyed. And God raised up a prophet named Jeremiah. And of course, he's called the weeping prophet because he was so aware of, uh, of the nation of Israel's sins and so aware of God's judgments. And he had a lot of persecution in his life, which caused him also to weep. But it's during the, the beginnings of Jeremiah's ministry that a good king came on the scene. His name was Josiah. Now, Josiah's father and grandfather were wicked kings. And so there's a lot of wickedness and degradation in the culture, the society, the nation of Israel. And the prophets are prophesying coming judgment. And now here comes, jo- here comes King Josiah. And he comes to the throne at the age of eight years of age. And when he turns 16 years of age, the Bible says he began to turn his heart t- towards God and seek the Lord. And then when he's 26 years of age, he says, we need to restore the temple. 
We need to get back to God. And there's an interesting story as, as, the, as the, the priests and Levites began to work on restoring the temple because it had fallen into to great dishonor and, and it needed to be restored physically and also as representative of spiritually, right? As, as they began to restore the, the, the temple, all of a sudden the priests, what did they do? They found a copy of the word of God that had been lost, and they bring it before King Josiah. Now, he's 26 years of age at this time. They bring it before King Josiah, and then they began to read the scriptures to him that were lost. How can a nation lose? Well, it can. It can, of course. We can lose the word of God. And uh, Josiah quickly understood, oh my gosh, these prophets have prophesied judgment. We have turned from God. We need to repent. And he began to institute all kinds of religious reforms and political reforms to try to bring that nation back to God. And they celebrated the Passover as a result of his reforms like it had never been celebrated before. But that story is so interesting. A church that compromises the word of God, a nation that forgets the word of God. I want to know that restoration happens in a nation, among people, in a church, and in a family, and in an individual heart or life when they rediscover the book. We need to rediscover the word of God for ourselves, for our family, our church, and our nation. And if we do, God can restore and revive and rebuild once again. Hmm. Israel's repentance and restoration was tied to scripture. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 22. The revival that took place when they discovered the word of God and began to act on it, believe it, and respond to it. The scriptures give us both warning and hope for a nation, for us as people. There are warnings in the Bible. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But I know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now that's a warning, isn't it? In the last days perilous times will come. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, it goes on and says, Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's a warning. Matthew 24, verse 37, the words of Jesus talking about the last days. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Noah's days were days of violence and wickedness that had filled the earth And, of course, God destroyed the world that then was with water. So tremendous warning in the Bible given about last days, about the culture or the times in which we live. But the Bible also gives tremendous hope. It's like it does both. Listen to Romans 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, listen to this, grace abounded much more. We might be looking and saying, man, I just see sin everywhere. I see compromise everywhere. I see our culture embracing things that the Bible says are wrong or moral and uh, and, uh, encouraging us to affirm and to celebrate. Well, I don't want to affirm it, and I don't want to celebrate it. And so what are we going to do? Well, I tell you what, when sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That's the response from heaven is that God gives saving grace. God gives 
keeping grace. God gives overcoming grace. God comes in the midst of all this wickedness and begins to move. And that's a hope. Am I right about that? That God begins to move. Listen, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, when there's great darkness, the darkness cannot overpower the light. Matter of fact, the light shines brighter the darker it gets. And so that's great hope as well. As it gets darker and darker, Jesus is the light of the world. And his word is a light and a lamp to our feet. When it gets darker and darker, hey, we got the hope. And his hope is Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. The hope for America is not a political party, nor is it a politician. The hope of America is found in Jesus Christ and his word. Amen to that? Well, what must we do as a church in the light of these warnings and this hope and the foundations being destroyed? What must we do as a church? Well, the first thing we need to do is disciple the next generation. We need to make sure that we pass on our faith. We need to make sure that that next generation knows God, is walking with God, is taking that baton and running with God, and will fulfill the will of God in their generation. Jesus says he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, a generation can be lost. Disciple that next generation. It tells us in Psalm 145, verse 4, Our one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Listen to that. One generation shall praise your works to another. I mean, that tells us that my generation, I'm in my 60s now, my generation, what do I need to do? I need to be so full of God that I'm full of praise. That I got a song, that I have a testimony, that I have a rejoicing heart, that I have a real relationship with the Lord. Because I want to praise the works of God to the next generation. And if I'm dead in my spirit, compromised in my spirit, lethargic in my spirit, have given up in my spirit, I ain't got no praise. But if I'm alive unto God, because God is good, then I can turn to that next generation. I can say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And his mercy endures to all generations. Oh, Jesus Christ is a lover of my soul. Rejoice in him, for he is the savior of our lives. Somebody say amen to that. The scripture tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these... To faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul, who was in his 60s when he wrote 2 Timothy. Matter of fact, this is the last book he wrote. This is like his last will and testament, if you don't mind me putting it that way. He's probably in his mid-60s when he wrote 2 Timothy. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Probably by this age, he was 35 to 40 years of age. He's saying, all right, I, Paul, talking to you, Timothy, commit the word of God to faithful men who then can commit the word of God to faithful men. God is a generational God. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In a church, the grandfathers need to teach the fathers. The fathers need to teach the children. And the children need to teach their children. Four generations. Paul to Timothy to faithful men who can teach faithful men also. Everybody got that? So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we disciple this next generation. 
Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, aren't you glad we're not alone in this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Carefully guard the precious truth. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the word of God. The word of God is is the foundation of our faith and it's the hope for this world. Listen, we can't abandon the teachings of scripture. There is no other way than Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation than the foundation of his word. If we leave off of that and compromise that, we cease to be a church and we don't have a faith to pass on. This culture might be progressing and moving and moving and progressing and coming to this and that opinion and whatever, but there is a there is an anchor to our soul, there is a foundation to our walk, and it's the Lord himself and his word. They might be going off into insanity, but I am tied or tethered or standing on the rock of his salvation, the word of the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. Carefully guard, carefully guard, the scripture says, that precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Entrusted. The idea of stewardship. Like it's another man's possession that he's given to me to guard. The Bible calls it precious. It's like a bag of gold or a treasure chest filled with with gold, silver, and precious stones. Extremely valuable and Another man's possession, God gave to me as a preacher, to us as a church, for the church is the pillar and ground of truth. He's given it to us. He's entrusted that to us. Now, what are we supposed to be? do with it? Guard it. Be faithful to it. Don't be moved away from it. Don't compromise it. Don't treat it lightly. Guard it. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, now make sure you take heed to yourself and also to the word of God. And in so doing, you shall save yourself and those that hear you. In other words, Timothy, live the word and preach the word. And if you do that, you'll do well. And so will everybody that hears you. They'll be saved as well. That's what we need to do as a church. We need to live this word, and we need to hold fast this word, to preach this word. And if we will do that, then God will be with us. Our lampstand will burn bright, and we have a message of hope to this present evil world or this crooked and perverse generation. And so I'm here to charge you today. Let's hold fast. Let's guard this gospel. Somebody say amen to that. You guard the gospel by teaching it to faithful men of the next generation. I believe Cornerstone has many young men and women who will fulfill the will of God in their generation. There they are. I also believe that Cornerstone has seasoned men and women who will partner with the next generation to fulfill the Great Commission. And here we are. We're a church of Abraham's, Isaac's, and Jacob's generational church. We have those that are seasoned that have believed and it still burns bright on the inside. Does it still burn bright? I trust it does. 
and we are raising up people of the next generation, and we want to make sure that they burn bright. And as I have run, so you run. We need to reject the Hezekiah syndrome. Hezekiah was a good king, a godly king. We know the story. He had this sickness. He's going to die from it. The prophet went, Isaiah went and told him, you're going to die. Get your house in order. And the Bible says he turned his face to the wall and he just wept bitterly and asked the Lord to prolong his days. And God gave him 15 more years as, as a great king that he was. Well, the Assyrian Empire was a strong empire, but they were waning away. Their power was waning away, losing power. But they're way off. In the distance, way off in the east was another power. It was just in its very infancy, it was the Babylonian Empire, what we call modern Iraq now. And they came to see the kingdom. And Hezekiah was so proud of the kingdom, so proud of his treasures, so proud of all that was happening, that in his pride, he opened up his kingdom to the Babylonians. And he showed them all that was happening. And, of course, this was pride in his heart. He wasn't boasting in the Lord. He was proud. Well, God sent a prophet to him and basically said this. Listen, they are going to come and they're going to judge this nation. And they did. In 586, Babylon came and carried away captive Judah. That's when Daniel was carried away. Find him in Babylon. They just destroyed the temple, carried him away captive in 586 BC. But uh, at this time, Israel was a strong nation and Babylon was a weak empire. But the prophet came and told Hezekiah, because you did this, God is going to raise up that nation and they're going to bring God's judgment upon the land. But Hezekiah was a good king. And the prophet basically said this, but God sees the goodness of your heart, and it's not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to happen to your children. And Hezekiah responded to that in this way. 2 Kings 20, verse 19, the word from the Lord is good. At least there will be peace in my lifetime. The Hezekiah syndrome is this, not in my lifetime. Hey, everything's good. Imagine that. The word of the Lord is good. Excuse me? The word of the Lord basically is this. You'll be saved, Hezekiah, because of your goodness, but your children and your children's children are going to be carried away captive. Yeah, that's good. At least it won't be in my lifetime. The Hezekiah syndrome. When we don't care what happens to our children and our grandchildren because everything is promised prosperity for us. We need to care about the next generation. That's why we need to disciple the next generation. Make a commitment to the next generation. The hope for America is Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ in this earth, his church. And that next generation that is going to carry forth the gospel to this world. We need to make sure we connect the two generations. There's a story in the book of Judges chapter 2. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, this is Joshua and the elders. They had come in and possessed a promised land where they're all passing away. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation rose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. 
Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. The older generation was gathered to their fathers, and that is the way it works. The old generation will die off. Just, if you just look around, saving or not talking about the, the coming of the Lord, that when we which are alive and remain shall be called to be with the Lord with the air, to be with the Lord in the air. I mean, that generation will be joined not through death, but through what we call the rapture of the church. Let's just leave that truth off. If the Lord should tarry, if you look around, we're all going to die. Every single one of us. Death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. If you look at it, every single one of us is going to die. That's what happened in Judges chapter 2. The older generation was gathered to their fathers. They died. There arose another generation that did not know God. We can't let that happen. We're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're going to die. But we need to make sure that we connect with that next generation so that they know God. And I love this promise. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures to all generations. All generations. And endured to my generation. Thank the Lord for that. I'll tell you what, in the 60s and 70s, it seemed like God is dead. That was on the cover of Time magazine. God is dead. This world is wicked. Our nation is fallen. Where is the Lord? And then God answered that unbelief and that wickedness because we're in sin and bounds. Grace does much more bound. God answered that by a great move of God called uh, the Jesus movement. And my wife and I got saved at the tail end of the Jesus movement. Thank God for that. People of the gospel came to our generation. And we've worked hard and diligent all these years pastoring this church with a commitment to that next generation to bring, bring them into a life-giving church, to let them know the word of the Lord and experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If so, be that they might be born again, radically transformed, take up the call of God and preach the gospel to their generation. That's what God needs to do. The younger generation will not survive the assault of evil if they fail to connect with the older generation. That's what happened in Judges chapter 2. Joshua's generation, they passed away. And there arose another generation that did not know the Lord. And the Bible says they served the Baals, they forsook the Lord, and they provoked the Lord to anger. The older generation gains ground in God to give to the next generation. The greatest thing the older generation can do is to empower the next generation to fulfill the great commission. My hope is those that are younger than I, that next generation and the generation after them will truly know God. And be serious about God. And not compromise the word of God, but guard the gospel. And fulfill that great commission. Because there's a world that needs saving. 
And the Bible says the gospel shall be preached to all nations and then shall the end come. And so we know that there's going to be a generation alive preaching the gospel and completing that great commission that will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The gospel will be preached to all nations. There will be a generation. Will you be a part of that generation? That says, I want more than anything to find God, love God, serve God, obey God. And can we, who are my generation, be that generation that connects to that younger generation? That we can praise the works of God to that next generation? That we don't compromise or grow lethargic or get beaten down, but that we are alive on the inside. God needs to raise up people that are alive on the inside. Hallelujah. If the older generation is faithful to empower the next generation, then the next generation can build God's church and advance God's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. I may feel like you were touched of God in this message. Just touched of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want all those that are 35 years of age and younger, just to, if you feel like God touched your heart in this message, then I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray for you, all right? Pray for you to be filled with God, on fire from God, serious about God. Just 35 years of age and under, if that's you, and you were touched of God in this message, please come forward and just stand up here in the presence of the Lord. Can you do that? Come on, church, give them a round of applause. Encourage their heart. Encourage their heart. Hey, man, just make a single line across, all right? So you're not double or triple stacked, so I can get to you. Single line across, all the way across, from that end, clear to that end. There we go. There we go. You guys can figure this out, right? Single line across, single line across. Praise the Lord. Those that were touched of this. All right, those of you, you can't make it. We got room on this side. Those of you that are double, come all the way down to this end. Let's make a single line. Can you believe that? We got all these people. All right, very good. You guys are double stacked stack back there. Make your way down that way. Make, or push your way in, however you want to do it. But don't do it with sin in your heart. That, we don't want that. All right, we making it? All right, chop, chop, young people. Chop, chop. Double time. Double time, double time, double time, double time. Boom, 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 boom. I give you permission to run in the house of the Lord. You run, 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 run. Praise the Lord. Doesn't that look great? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I just really felt this on my heart. As a pastor, I commit to you that I'm going to guard the gospel. And pour into you the word of the Lord and do it with a passion full of the Holy Spirit, full of the love of God. So that you can catch that, so that you can see that, so that you yourself can experience that. Because this church needs you to step up and to step out and to take your place as servants of the Lord. Am I right about that, Rhonda? You were 16 years of age when you got saved. And uh, let me tell you this funny story, because I was 
We weren't even boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. I was sitting about three rows back. You were on the front row. And it was a Sunday night service. And the pastor was up on the, that's back when the pastor sat on the platform. And the, the worship leader was up there worshiping the Lord. And the Spirit of God was moving. And, and that, there's a great joy and great rejoicing in the house of the Lord. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, Pastor Rhonda took off, ran up on the platform with her arms like this. And went and gave the pastor the biggest hug. Remember doing that? Now, why did you do that? What was in your heart? What was it? Love of God. You just wanted to bless him. Come on up here with me. Can you do that? I know my wife feels this as well. Do you guys feel it in your heart? Absolutely, you do. Tell him why you did that. What got in? Because Pastor Jenkins, that's just so blessed him to have this 16-year-old girl just so full of the love of God. Just, I still remember you just ran up just like this. And he's like, see, he's seeing you coming. He's like, oh my gosh. And he just gave me the biggest hug. Because Jesus found me and I was lost. And he saved me at the age of 16. And he dramatically, forever, eternally changed my life. And there was a passion for Jesus on the inside of me. And I had heard the voice of God in my life. And it forever marked me. And I was new in the house of God. And I was standing on that front row worshiping the Lord. And I saw that path, my pastor on the platform. And I just wanted to embrace him and love him. And celebrate my life in God. I know it wasn't normal protocol. But I wasn't raised in the house of God. I didn't know what was appropriate and what was not. Jesus was just so alive on the inside of me. He had brought me out of darkness. He had set me free. Delivered me from bondages and such evil in my life. And I knew I belonged to the Lord. And I knew I belonged in the house of God. And that was my pastor. That was my church. And that's where God was meeting with me. And I just have such a burden for all of those that have responded this morning. Because the Lord wonderfully, marvelously, eternally touched me. I heard the voice of God. And I have never looked back. I have never turned back. I have never compromised my passion and commitment to the call of God and the will of God in my life. And it is my husband's and my passion and and commitment to the Lord to see the next generations rise up and hear the voice of God, know who they belong to, be full of the spirit of God, committed to the word of God, committed to the will of God, to be alive in God. We're in our 60s now, and the fire of God still burns burns as strong on the inside of us as it did when we were teenagers. We want to be an example to these generations because what God does is real, and it is eternal if you're willing to pay the price. There is a price that comes with following the Lord, but with that cost comes a tremendous fellowship of the Holy Spirit an anointing of God in your life. And you will walk into and you will see and complete the will of God in your generation. Amen. You know, King Josiah was just 16 years of old. Yes. He was 16 years of age when he began to seek the Lord. David Hallelujah. was 17 years of age when he was anointed to be the next king. Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a teenager. Yes. When she heard God speak to her through that angel yes. to take on that great responsibility to be the mother of Jesus Christ. Yes. God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, you know, I'm just too young. And God said, don't say I'm too young. Don't say I'm too young. You're not too young for God to be at work in you. 
All right, congregation, those of you that can feel compelled, why don't you come forward and put one hand on one, one hand on another, and just stand right behind them. My wife and I are going to pray. As you just feel burden of the Lord, make sure everybody has hands laid on them, all right? Hallelujah. Hands laid on them. Thank you, Jesus. One generation to the next. Hallelujah. We're looking for God to fill you, bless you, strengthen you, encourage you, set your heart on fire. Set your heart on fire. Amen. Lots of people up here praying. Lots of people up here praying. Those of you that came up to pray, listen, you need to be set on fire. And as you pray for them, ask God to bless you and to set your heart on fire. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray for this generation, this next generation, and the generation to come. We pray for the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, and the Josephs that are in the house. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would set them on fire, that you would encourage their heart, that the Lordship of Christ would be preeminent in them. I pray, Lord, that there would not be a generation that would arise from this church that does not know God. Oh, but we would raise up a generation that does exploits. A strong generation, a powerful generation, a fearless generation, one that wants to run the race and finish their course and complete what you have called them to do with their life. Oh, God, I pray that we might guard the gospel, that we might preach the gospel, that we might believe the gospel. Oh, Lord, that we do not let it slip, that we do not compromise the word of the Lord. Father, as we see foundations being destroyed all around us, we will adhere to and stand on the foundation of you and your word. That is our commitment to you, O God. And on this July 4th weekend, we celebrate America, but we realize the hope of America is Jesus Christ. O God, fill us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Father, I ask that you would put your hand upon every person that finds their self at the altar this morning. I ask Holy Spirit, seal them, seal them for the kingdom of God, for the will of God, for this next generation. I pray that you will pour out your spirit upon them, that they will be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the fire of God, filled with courage, filled with conviction, filled with clarity, filled with a willingness to do the will of God, not just to know about it and to learn about it and talk about it, but to do the will of God in their generation. May they know that they have been chosen by you. May they know that the hand of God is upon them. I pray, God, that they would be courageous in their lifetime, that they will not look to the left or to the right. They will not compare themselves to others, but they they will have an amazing sense of devotion and being set apart on 
unto you. God, take this generation. Use Cornerstone, God. Use Cornerstone to be an arrow shot into this dark world. God, use us to be a bright and a shining light. Let this church be like a city set on a hill whose light burns bright. But God, I pray for these that are at the altar this morning. I pray they will not be the same. They will not be the same because they have been at the altar. They have been in God's presence. They will know that they belong to you. And God, when the enemy comes and tries to quench that passion, tries to compromise their commitment, tries to cause them to doubt their devotion and commitment and that their life belongs to the will of God. I pray, God, in those moments of temptation, in those moments of doubt, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just usher right in. He will swoop right in and he will remind them of the hand of the Lord that is upon them, that their life is valuable. It belongs to God. It's treasure. It's a treasure that they're carrying in their spirit. Oh God, may they have just a sense that I belong to the Lord. I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to myself, but I belong to God. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Got one other thing to do. I want... The, the 35 and under crowd to turn around and pray for those that are praying for you. Just turn around and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You lay your hands on them. And as I lead you in this prayer, you just pray with me for that older generation that's been praying for you. Father, we just turn around and we just lay hands on that older generation. Oh God, we pray for them right now in Jesus' name. We ask, O oh Lord, that they also would be filled with the Spirit, filled with the fire of God, filled with the passion of the Lord. We pray, O oh God, that they would not compromise, that they would not become lethargic, that they would not fall down and run in their race, but that they would finish their course. Lord, as we lay our hands on them, fill them, encourage them, and strengthen them. Lord, I thank you for the example that they have been. And I pray, Lord, that they continue to be that great example. I pray for them right now in Jesus' name that they also have a fresh encounter with you, the living God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Give each other a great big hug. Can you do that? You're dismissed. God bless you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Well, what a beautiful blessing today was. Thank you so much for joining us on this holiday weekend.